This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 177 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest is Michael Anderson, Chief Information Security Officer for Dallas County, the eighth largest county in the United States. He oversees the IT security program for over 6,800 county employees and the electronic records for over 2.6 million residents. Michael shares his career journey, including 10 years served in the Army in the Intelligence Corps and over 20 years of strategic and tactical expertise across a wide range of IT disciplines. We'll find out how he and his team use modern tools to make the most of limited resources, the type of leadership style he uses to inspire and motivate his co-workers, and how he approaches hiring in a highly competitive job market. Stay with us. Born and raised in California, I served in the military after graduating high school for 10 years. And after completing, successfully completing my armed service tenure, I became a civilian again. And unfortunately, um, the rank that I held as an armed service member did not transfer cleanly into the civilian world. So whereas I was a network manager in the military, I kind of had to start all over when I became a civilian. So I did just that. I began working at the desktop. And a couple years later, I moved into uh, the engineer ranks. And after mastering that, I began working with small teams as a supervisor. Fast forward two, three years after that, uh, got my first manager role. It's been just an uphill climb since then. I want to say about seven years ago was when I first entered into the executive ranks, and that was a life goal for me um, to be at the top of a particular vertical. And so your position today, can you describe that for us and, and tell us what's your day-to-day like? Well, I can. Day-to-day is very, very challenging. Uh, we Dallas County is the eighth largest county in the United States. We have uh, 39 different departments and agencies that comprise the county. And so, as you would imagine, there's a good deal of diversity. And so, in one day, I might be, you know, working with public works. The next day, I might be working with the judiciary. The next day, I may be working with uh, members of the court. It's just a great deal of diversity. And I like that. But uh, my team specifically, we have responsibility for the county cybersecurity program. And really what that entails is three different teams. The first of which is we call them threat and vulnerability management. And we also have another arm, uh, architecture and engineering. And then we also supply for the 150 or so folks that make up IT services, audit and compliance uh, so that we can make certain that we're firing on all cylinders with respect to our compliance mandates. Can you give us an idea of the scale of your team? How many folks do you have working under you? 
we have a total um, in-source and outsource of 10 men and women uh, that make up the team. We've been asked to sort of streamline and keep things uh, relatively small. And so we have a number of partnerships uh, with outside entities that help us to um, complete the portfolio uh, for the security services program. Can you give, describe for us uh, how that works? I mean, how do you balance that? Uh, you know, what's what's a I would hazard to say is a relatively small team for the size of the organization that you're protecting, um, and being able to work with outside vendors. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree, Dave. It, it is a fairly tall order, and um, a part of that called for us to take a look at everything that we had in existence. Um, and then looking at how uh, well we did and the areas that required improvement, what tools might we keep and what tools should we replace? And as we sort of went through that exercise with the backdrop being we're going to be small, we have to be nimble. Not only do we have to keep the lights on and work cross-functionally, but we also have to do programs and other projects um, how can we do all of that and remain nimble? And so what we came up with was an AI ML model whereby we would replace just about everything with those types of tools so that um, over time and with clean data entering into those systems, we could train those to only stop work for those analysts, for those engineers, those architects, um, when it was absolutely necessary. And so that's been, I guess, an 18 to 20 month journey. And I will not tell you that we have arrived, um, but we're much better off in our day to day than we were when I first joined almost two years ago. I mean, do you have any insights to share in terms of what that journey has been like, you know, for, for other people who may be considering a similar approach? Any things that they should be mindful of? You know, Dave, I, I, I have an opportunity because there's so many cities within my counties. And um, because we're making in, in Dallas County a model for other um, entities of our size and larger I get a chance to talk to a lot of practitioners, um, local to the 254 counties that make up uh, Texas, as well as those that are outside of our state. And one of the biggest challenges that I see facing practitioners is that they don't really know where to start. So, so you know, the, the person before them, maybe they were doing their best um, the person before them, maybe they had a compliance focus, but with respect to growing the program, what I find most often is that they have not adopted a security framework and conducted a gap assessment against that and then prioritize those document those findings to give them a solid roadmap going forward. That's probably number one without question. And it is on a day-to-day basis as I work with other practitioners, the very first thing that 
um, I subscribe that they should take a look at. And, and what, what does that do for them? What, what are the benefits of taking that approach? So I, I led in with they don't really know what to do. Um, there are so many uh, vendors that have some fantastic products. You can find very easily find yourself in a cycle where, you know, something new, something shiny with a, a large amount of promise comes in and you adopt that and, you know, it works out and, 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 and then something else comes along and you're perpetually in a cycle um, of trying out things that are new and shiny. Um, but what, what I recommend people do is adopt a framework that's suitable for the size of the organization I always advocate for the adoption of one of those first. And then to your question, um, what this does is it really helps with where the program, understanding at a point in time, here's where the program is, here's where the program should go. And the findings should be, if, 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 if they've gotten a real good risk register, and I always tell uh, folks that I counsel, make sure you get a good risk register. Um, the findings should be categorized from critical to high to medium to low. And so now the whole selection process with respect to enhancing the program is unemotional. Doesn't have anything to do with that which is shiny and new. You know, you you mentioned presenting to the board. I mean, how much of your job is that kind of diplomacy of of having to um, sell things to those people who are making those tough decisions? You know, no no city, no town, no county these days has all the funds that they wish that they had, and so there are tough decisions to be made. Um, how do you approach that? You have to have a story, so. Now you've done this gap assessment, you've selected a framework, you have the uh, gap analysis, and you have to take your findings and you have to create a story behind those findings. And, you know, the, there's there's a little bit of artwork to that. There's there's the, the softer side with the PowerPoint presentation and how you show that. Um, but then there's also the actual presentation itself where they get to interact with you, your body language, and the cues um, that you have. And, and so, you know, for us, um, we have to go to the court for every single acquisition. And it's, it's typically um, a very uh, lengthy written document first. And if it crosses a certain threshold, um, you may have to appear in court to, um, you know, represent your particular request. And the court is made up of a judge and four commissioners that represent the four large districts that make up um, Dallas County. And I have to tell you, um, they are very, very astute. Two times a month, we're going through that cycle of building that story, building that presentation if necessary, sending that out ahead of the brief that goes to the court, 
and then possibly having to go into court or into closed session. Most of my stuff is closed session because it's security um, to get the necessary approvals to move the program or the acquisition or the human resource requirement forward. And then how do you go about measuring success? How do you evaluate if the things that you put in place are working? That's a great question. It's a really good question. So uh, we we have dashboards and uh, we have two different types of dashboards. First of which really targets the um, senior management team. And then we also um, have one that is much more technical and that one is really tailored to um, the subject matter experts and such. And, you know, in doing so, we're able to um, take a look at a specific platform that we have brought in to deal with a certain set of controls. And through those dashboards, we're able to see how that particular tool is decreasing the risk to the county. And it just becomes um, more about the numbers. And obviously, um, in our world, the lower the numbers, the better. I want to uh, to switch gears a little bit and uh, get your perspective on threat intelligence and, and the, the part that that plays in the work you're doing there day to day. Well, we're very, very fortunate. Uh, we have MSISAC and EIISAC. They provide us with a great deal uh, of intel for no charge. Uh, I believe the public sector, there's a very, very nominal fee, uh, but well worth it. They're sharing just about everything that you would want to know um, just as it's being found in the wilds or just before it's being executed in the wilds. And so, you know, anywhere from applications to operating systems, and that could be server, desktop, or mobile, um, all the way through all of the various types of hardware and appliances to include security appliances, they provide us with all of that data so that we can plug and patch um, as quickly as possible so that, you know, bad guys aren't able to exploit us. We have a dedicated uh, threat team, and this is um, a function of what they do on a day-to-day basis. But with the refinement, I share it with you in our lead-in. So we're making certain that everything that goes into the SIM and into our security operations center, we want to make sure that information is clean um, and has as, as, as little flaw as possible. And the algos um, in our SIM, they do the vast majority of the threat triggering for us so that we know if something pops up on the dashboard on our handsets, um, with a certain severity that we've said we should get this on our handsets or a phone call, then we know, hey, game's on. Um, something's going on that should stop work. So we have dedicated analysts who perform these tasks um, along with a number of other feeds uh, that enrich all of that uh, threat intel together. What about the the human side of things? You know, your your own perspective 
as a manager? How do you describe your own management style? One of the first things I try to do, Dave, only be as transparent as possible, is I always attempt over time to win the respect of my team. I find that when I'm able to do that, I, I get the absolute most out of them with the least amount of managerial effort. And so um, what that means is I show them that I care about the contribution that they make each day. I provide them with challenges so that their careers are enriched and enhanced. And I try very, very hard, um, and I think this is a success, not to be um, helicopter-like and sort of all over their shoulders and um, and scenarios where they feel like I'm breathing on them just a little too much. I give them space. I give them a charge. Um, I assess what they understand and don't understand. They repeat it back. We make sure we have good communication. If if it's a if it's an area that they don't know, I make them smart on it. I give them some of my firsthand accounts and how I've dealt with it in other organizations. And then I let them go do it. And I sort of act as um, the reference point for whatever the activity is. And, and, and so over time, um, what I always tend to find in this particular model, we call it democratic for the most part. I, I, I will change that a little bit if we're in a crisis and depending on the severity of it, I, I, I may be more hands-on. But for the most part, I'm democratic and they absolutely love that style. Everyone um, really adjusts well to that style. The residual from that is I get the most from them with the least amount of managerial pressure. And what sorts of things do you look for when you're hiring? How important are, for example, degrees or certifications versus uh, you know, life experience or other, other jobs they may have had? In the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, so from Dallas to Fort Worth, um, that's about 63 miles if I remember right, the unemployment rate for cybersecurity professionals um, is is among the lowest in the nation. So um, there are there are an abundance of jobs always available for this profession. Hmm. Um, it used to be a time where I was very very heavy on a collegiate background coupled with. Um, some very, uh, shall we say, industry certifications. But given the dynamic that I just shared with you and the cost structure for the type of uh, talent that we need today um, and my inability to compete at the same level as the private sector um, I've, I've, I've had to do some unique things. I've, I've, I've had to look at non-traditional means. I've, I have to take a look at bringing someone uh, uh, up through the ranks uh, from maybe um, an, an IT discipline, but where they didn't have a strong IT background and, and training them up. I, I have to look to uh, programs within the um, 
North Texas and, and the DFW that sponsor younger professionals who may not have the the depth of knowledge, but they've at least had some foundational courses. I, I've, I've, you know, I, I have to be willing now to uh, do a lot more mentoring and training uh, than I had to in, in time past. And so it's a, it's, it's a much different landscape today, Dave, than it used to be specifically for uh, this discipline that we're in. What sort of advice do you have for that person who's coming up through the system, who has their sights set on a job in cybersecurity, you know, whether it's coming up through school or maybe switching jobs from something else? I have a lot of friends, Dave, who are recruiters. And I, I know that this, this capability exists for them to move from an adjacent industry into ours. So something IT into security. It appears that it's still somewhat difficult to make a change from, say, accounting uh, to cyber. Uh, that's still somewhat taboo. But talking to my peers and, um, you know, listening into a number of different uh, webinars since we're stuck here at the house, um, I've found that that's being relaxed more and more. So I, th I think to answer your question, if, if, if there are folks out there who desire to, to make a change, I think there are some foundational uh, security certifications that kind of open the door. And, and in the same way that I worked my way through the ranks, um, they should be willing and open to that. And I think in the day and age that we're in today, it, it doesn't take near as long to make some significant strides in, in terms of upward mobility in the security space as it did say 10 years ago with all that we see in the news and all that we read about uh, in the frequency with which we see cyber activity taking place uh, right here near us and abroad, uh, literally everywhere. We need in this craft as many people who are willing um, to come over and, and do this uh, against the sick stigmatism that we sometimes face as absolute possible because we are shorthanded in every area of cybersecurity at the moment. Our thanks to Michael Anderson for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.